Welcome to this week's Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kendall Kearns, and I'm the student worship leader here at Rolling Hills. We're spending this week in Mark chapter 15 as we approach our finale of our Masterclass series. In this chapter, we read about Jesus' last moments before his death, including his conversation with Pontius Pilate, his crucifixion, and his last words on the cross. But in what seemed like defeat, Jesus achieved victory for all of us. He made a way to the kingdom of God. Join us today as we discuss the work Jesus finished through his sacrifice for us. Thanks for listening. Well, it's so good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I have missed being with you the past couple of weeks. For those of you who are new to Rolling Hills, you may have no idea what I'm talking about, but I had a privilege the past couple of weekends to be in the Amazon jungle working with some of our incredible pastors along the Amazon River, and it is just awesome. And I come to you to tell you one thing very quickly, and I'll refer to this a little bit later on in the service, but God is doing something really incredible in the world. He's doing something that's so much bigger than what we can see, so much bigger than what we can imagine. And isn't it a joy to know that we're a part of that, that we're a part of something that is so much bigger than this little piece of real estate and so much bigger than what he's doing here in Tennessee and around uh, or in the United States. He's, he's on the move across the globe, and, and it's just incredible to know that we as a church um, are a part of that. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. I hope that you have. But there are some pretty amazing things happening around us all the time. I mean, if you come into this world with your eyes wide open, you will see incredible things all the time. It's the sights, it's the sounds, it's the views. It's, it's these moments that we realize there are continually things around us that will amaze us if we just Look, I'm sure you've had those moments when you see something that's so breathtakingly beautiful and you think to yourself, this is like more incredible than a picture. It's more incredible than a, a painting. And maybe it's the ocean. Maybe it's the, the mountains. I remember the very first time that I had an opportunity to go to Cape Town, South Africa, which I think a lot of travel gurus will say is the most beautiful city in the entire world. And I would attest to that. Of all the places I've been, you know, you see these mountains literally rising up out of the ocean and you just think to yourself, how can you look at this and not know there's a God who loves you and who created you. But you don't have to go to South Africa to have that experience. I mean, how about those nights right here in Middle Tennessee when you catch the sunrise or the sunset just right and the sky looks more beautiful than any painting any artist could ever could put together? It's the yellows and the reds and the pinks and, uh, and just the, the blue. And you just think to yourself, this is so incredibly beautiful. And it reminds me that God is good and that he is so big. But it's not just those sights. It's also these experiences. I remember when my wife Jacqueline and I were pregnant with our daughter, Evie June, and the first time we went to the doctor, and this is now almost nine years ago, and we went to the doctor and the doctor puts that little thing on Jacqueline's belly and we hear for the first time, the thump, the thump, the thump, the thump, the thump, and I'm just a mess <laughs> because I'm like, there's a baby in there. And it has a heartbeat, and then she's born, and then she learns to talk, and she learns to walk. And now she's eight, almost nine years old, running around, and she's reading chapter books. And I'm thinking to myself, this is amazing. God is so big, and God is, is, is so beyond my comprehension. Or how about this? You see, someone, you see God changing someone's life before your very eyes. Maybe it's someone that you've invited to church or you've invited someone, you know, kind of into a relationship and you're trying to share the hope of the gospel with them. And then all of a sudden, one Sunday morning, you get a text from them and they say, I'm coming to church. And you celebrate what God is doing as you physically see that change happen in their life. And I share all of those things with you this morning for a simple fact, to get our minds wrapped around just how good God is. 
just how big Jesus is, just how in control he is, and how nothing in this life is by accident. Nothing in this life is by happenstance. God is holding everything together, and he is working in ways that we can see and ways that we cannot see. But everything that our mind can wrap around, everything that, we're, that we are physically capable of seeing right now, it is pale in comparison to what God did on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything that we can see is so pale in comparison to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross so that we could have life. And this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to continue in our series Masterclass by looking at Mark chapter 15. And in Mark chapter 15, what you're going to see is this beautiful story unfold. And it's a story that I never get tired of sharing. And I hope and pray that it's a story that you never grow tired of hearing, that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins to die so that you could be made right. It's the incredible message of the gospel. I'm so thankful that you're here today, and I pray that this message would resonate in our hearts, that we would understand the hope in Jesus Christ, but also that we would understand the hope that we are to go share with this world that's broken and that it's hurting. And so just know that I'm grateful that you're here with us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. I'm thankful for each and every person who is here. And God, I just pray that you would prepare our hearts for what it is that you want to teach us today. God, we know that you have a very specific reason that you've brought us here. So show us what that is. God, remind us that we are not alone as we dig into your word today. We're just thankful, God, that you love us and that you care for us. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and that we give this morning to you. Amen and amen. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that um, I'm gossiping about you behind your back. It's not happening, okay? But let's just imagine for a moment that I was gossiping about you behind your back. Or let's just imagine for a moment, which I hope is not happening, that you're gossiping about me behind my back. How willing would you be to help me if you found out that I was gossiping about you behind your back? Probably not very willing because you would think, Um, I don't know, that kind of hurt me a little bit. I don't know if I would want to help him. Or how about this? How about you have a nicer lawnmower than I have, and so I break into your garage and steal yours, okay? Because, you know, instead of buying a new one, yours is really nice, and so I decide that I'm just going to take it. Um, And then let's just say that I had the audacity the next week to come and ask you to help me out with something. What are you going to say to that? You're probably going to say no, or depending on how much time you've spent in prayer, you may even add some other words to your no. Um, you know, to just, just, just let me know. Why? Because I have done something against you, and you never want to see me again. I have wronged you, and you don't want to help me. Well, this morning, as we dig into Mark chapter 15, what you're going to see is a completely different picture. Jesus does not operate on the same agenda that we do. Because we are very apt to not forgive. We are very apt to hold a grudge. We are very apt to say, once you have done something that's worthy of my love and attention, then I will show it to you. See, Jesus gives us a different picture because of his matchless nature. And on the cross, Jesus has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. And on the cross, Jesus has done for us something that we don't deserve. And that's the greatness of Jesus. That's the vastness of Jesus that we're talking about today. His glory, his kingdom. And so in Mark chapter 15, we see this snapshot of the end of Jesus's life, where he's falsely accused and he's put on the cross and he dies for the sins of all mankind. But this story needs a little bit of context and it needs a little bit of kind of background. And so I want to take us back to Mark chapter 14, picking up in verse 55. Mark chapter 14, verse 55. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. A lot of them are printed there for you on your worship guide as well. There's also some fill in the blanks. If you want to kind of follow along and maybe fill in some of these blanks throughout the course of this morning, I would encourage you to do so. But read with me in Mark chapter 14, verse 55 and verse 56. So the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus. 
Jesus, so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. And many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. And then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Scroll down to verse 60. So then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes. Why do you need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. And then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists, and they said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. So the picture looks like this. The whole Sanhedrin court was looking for a way to put Jesus to death, but they actually couldn't find anything that he had done wrong. And so what starts happening is in the town, everyone starts making up these stories about what Jesus has done wrong, but it tells us in Scripture that even their stories don't match up about what it is that Jesus has done wrong. It's kind of like at my house when something breaks and I ask my two kids what happened, I get two very different stories. The stories don't match up. She says this happened, and he says this happened. And you've got these folks who are falsely accusing Jesus, and their stories are not in alignment. And so Jesus keeps silent in the midst of all of this. And they continue to pose him a question. And ultimately, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And that was the statement that was considered blasphemy because they did not see Jesus as the Messiah. And so the religious leaders, they deemed that he had to die. He needed to die for that statement, which leads to kind of our big idea for today. In fact, this is the big idea. If you don't hear anything else I say today, if you need to kind of nap for the next 22 and a half minutes, just feel free to do so. But if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. Jesus is matchless. Jesus is matchless. No one has ever compared to him. No sight that we ever see compares to him. No matter how smart you are, no matter how brilliant you are, Jesus is the matchless one. What do I mean by that? Nothing compares to him. Jesus is not only unique, but he's not just unique. He's truly set apart. And we've seen some pretty sights. We've some experienced some really cool things, but nothing compares to him. And nothing compares to what he did on the cross. So let's pick back up in Mark chapter 15, verse 1. So very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin, they made their plans. So they bound Jesus, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. And the chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man named Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. So we see that very early in the morning... The next day, after Jesus acknowledged that he is the Messiah, you have these chief priests, you have these Pharisees, you have these teachers of the law. These are all the guys that hated Jesus and that were actively trying to stop the message of Jesus and his public ministry. And they bring him before Pilate, and Pilate directly asks him in verse 2, are you the king of the Jews? To which Jesus very aptly replies, you have said so. <laughs> I don't even have to play your games, Pilate. I don't have to give you an answer. I don't have to defend myself against you. You have said so. And so basically, Jesus is standing in front of Pilate. He doesn't argue his case. He doesn't say, I don't deserve this. Pilate has the upper hand, and he could have let Jesus go. But because Jesus is matchless, he held the course. 
and he stood true to what it is that God had sent him to do. So go back to verse 6. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. And the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release you to the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. So wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So during the Passover festival, it was customary for them to release a prisoner. And so this insurrectionist, this murderer named Barabbas was going to be released. Now, isn't it ironic that someone who had actually committed a crime was released and the one who had committed no crime was getting ready to be put to death? And so Mark tells us out of self-interest so they can get what they want, the crowd starts stirring one another up to have Barabbas released. And to satisfy the chance of the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas. He had Jesus flogged. And Jesus was handed over to be crucified. Now, if you continue reading this story, a few verses down, Jesus was taken away. He was put in a purple robe. A crown of thorns was placed on his head. They hit him. They spit him, spit on him, and they led him out to be crucified. But I want to stop for just a second and ask you a question. And the question is simply put, do you see yourself in this story? Do you see yourself in this story? Do you relate to some of, the, some of these characters in the story? Because, see, look at some of these characters. You have this crowd that's getting really fired up about what's happening around them. Have you ever been in a crowd of people and you know the right thing to do, but you kind of go the way of the crowd because it's not very popular to step up and be different? You have this crowd that's shouting, crucify. You also have Jesus' disciples. They had walked with Jesus on this earth for three years in public ministry, they had seen the miracles. And some of the gospel accounts tell us that even in full knowledge of who Jesus is and what he had done, they still struggled to acknowledge that they knew him. They still struggled to speak up and say, this is not right. And then, of course, you have Barabbas, the criminal who does not deserve at all the grace that he has shown. See, I think in reality, we relate to a lot of these characters, because we see some of ourself in their stories. I believe on any given day, we can identify with all the cast of characters around Jesus. On any given day, we can identify with all of these cast of characters because these are people that Jesus sacrificed his life for. I don't know about you, but I sure do relate to at times being a confused disciple who doesn't necessarily have the courage that I need to step up and do what God has called me to do. I certainly relate to the guy who was given grace that he didn't deserve and who was given mercy when he deserved death. And I do relate to being a part of the crowd sometimes. And instead of going the way of Jesus, I just go the way of the world. Maybe you do as well. But there's something that we've got to stop and take note of. Jesus died for the false accusers. Jesus died for those who were spitting on him. And he ultimately was making a way for all of them and for all of us to be made whole and to be made right. And this is such incredibly good news. Let's pick back up in verse 24. So when they crucified him, dividing his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him, and the written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. 
And those who had passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So Jesus is crucified between two actual criminals. And another of the gospel accounts say that one of the criminals even insulted him to the point that said, even if you are the Son of God, why don't you bring yourself off this cross and save yourself? The criminals on the cross were insulting him. Those who were passing by were insulting him. They were spitting on him. They were nailing him to a cross. This is not an awesome group of characters here. These are people that are in the wrong, operating in the most evil of ways. You've got the chief priest. You've got the Sanhedrin. You've got Pilate. You've got the crowd. You've got the criminals. You've got those hurling the insults. But Jesus, being the matchless sacrifice for each of them, does not call any of them into question, but rather says, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for your sins. So do not miss this this morning. And you see this here on your notes. Do not miss this. Jesus died for everyone, including the very people who crucified him. Jesus died for everyone, including the very people who crucified him. See, Jesus did not die for us when we were in a state of perfection. He died for us when we were incredibly broken. When we were in our absolute worst, lowest of the low moment, Jesus died for you. And if you've yet to grasp that this morning, I pray that today would be the day that you understand the power of the gospel, that Jesus loved you so much that he died. He loved you so much that there was nothing that he was not willing to do so that you could have life. He takes your sin. He takes your brokenness. He takes your past mistakes. He takes your regret. He takes your shame. He takes your guilt. And on the cross, that was decided once and for all that it is finished, that you do not have to be held captive to those things anymore. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved and your life radically changes today. If you've yet to make that decision to follow Jesus, I hope and pray that today would be the day that that would become so clear to you and that you would understand what it is that Jesus has done. See, this is so mind-blowing for us to understand because we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't be good enough to deserve this sacrifice. I mean, kind of back to my theft analogy. I don't like to make a lot of stealing analogies at church, but it works. Um, but if I steal something from you, I really don't deserve your grace and forgiveness. But when you show me grace and forgiveness, it makes it even more meaningful because you are granting me something that I don't deserve. Some of you students in the room, you're headed back to school this week. Can't believe it. Or maybe if it's not been so long since you've been in school, you can remember this. Or maybe you're currently a student working on a graduate degree, whatever the case might be. You know those moments when you have someone who's in charge of the classroom and they have a deadline and you miss the deadline and they give you a little bit of grace to get the assignment in later. You should thank them for that because they didn't have to do that. You had a due date, and you missed the due date. They showed you grace. I know this is none of you, but some of you have been given deadlines in your work, and you have not hit the deadline. Your boss is waiting on that project, and he or she has decided to give you a few extra days. Why? Because they're showing you grace, and they're showing you mercy. See, those second, those third, those fourth, those fifth chances should not be taken for granted. Why? Because I was in the wrong, and I was shown mercy. When you think about your sin, your sin puts you in the wrong. 
And because of your sin, you deserve death, according to Scripture. You deserve eternal separation from God, but through the mighty power of Jesus Christ, the matchless sacrifice, that sin is not held against you anymore. And you can be made right because of Jesus, because of what happened on the cross. And so it goes without saying this morning, but you see this here on your, on your screen, the message of Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. That's why this is so important, because the message of Jesus Christ is the only true hope for the world. I mean, the cross is the only hope. And I don't have to remind you of this, but I am sending you out today into a world that is trying to find hope in everywhere but the cross. It's the harsh reality. If you don't think that's true, then start talking to some people. Because we live in a world that is trying to find hope in everything but Jesus. Because what are the myriad of things that we think really bring us hope? I mean, money's up there. We think money is really what brings us hope. We think promotions are what brings us hope. We think status is what brings us hope. Notoriety is what brings us hope. You know, 401ks bring us hope. Stock options bring us hope. Politicians bring us hope. Relationships bring us hope. And all those things are fine and well. But apart from Jesus, none of those things will ever bring you hope. You can have all the money in the world, and apart from Jesus, you will not be a hope-filled person. Period. You can have all the status in the world, but apart from Jesus, that status is a downward spiral that just makes you continue comparing yourself to everybody else. And then you realize you're no better off then than you were when you started. But when you start from a place of Jesus Christ, and you say, everything that I have is because of him, every ounce of my life, every promotion, every resource, every status, whatever it might be, everything I know is because of him. And so I want to start with him first and allow everything else to follow place. After that, then you begin to see God not only uses you, but he uses your resources for a purpose bigger than yourself. And he uses your Uh, your your work for a purpose bigger than yourself. And those promotions are not about you. And it's an opportunity for you to deflect yourself and to point back to him. And the world begins to take notice of those things because the message of Jesus is the only true hope for the world. And why is it so hopeful? Go to verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. The centurion knew. He watched it all unfold. And he saw this man was the Son of God. There was something different about this crucifixion than all the other crucifixions that he had seen. And as sad as this message may sound to us today, this is not a sad message. This is a hopeful message. Because Jesus took the cross for the sins of all mankind, and shame on me when I have thought that my hope could come from anywhere else but him. And I have struggled with that in my life. Maybe you have as well. When you try to find hope in all these other places, and it just simply disappoints. Now, money and promotions, relationships, are all those things bad? Absolutely not. I'll take more of all three. But the reality is, they don't provide you hope. Hope can only come from him. And as we seek to understand that, and as we seek to grow in that knowledge, my prayer is that we would be compelled to go share that hope with others, to take that hope to a broken world, to take that hope to people that are in desperate need of knowing that there's more to this life than they're currently experiencing. 
This past week, I've had an opportunity to reflect a lot on what I had an opportunity to be a part of over the past couple of weekends as I was uh, working with um, our missions organization, Justice and Mercy International, in Brazil. And while we were in Brazil, we worked with a number of jungle pastors and jungle leaders from all along the Amazon River Basin, and we were there to teach them, and we were there to encourage them, and we were there to hear their stories. And it's been a couple years since they've all been able to be together, and the time was so rich. And the time was so incredibly moving. But as I've had a few days to kind of reflect upon it, here's kind of how I'd be able to sum it up for you. I've come to the realization that what these men and women realize is something that I still have a lot of room to grow in. And that is they really do understand where their hope comes from. Because when you have nothing, you realize that it's Jesus alone that is holding it all together. But it's not just the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. They are on a mission with every ounce of their being to desperately share that hope with others. I had a conversation with a 71-year-old man who had a heart condition who, according to Brazilian standards, should be retiring. But he said, until God calls me home, as long as he's given me a voice, there are people that do not know Jesus, I will proclaim Jesus. I had an opportunity to meet with Pastor Esdras. And Pastor Esdras is a missionary that is on fire for Jesus Christ. And Pastor Esdras realizes that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is to not only be shared, but it's a helpful for us to understand that the hope that we share with other people is what ushers in the kingdom of God. Now, the Brazilian pastors, they understand something that, to be quite honest with you, I do not have near as much understanding of or near as much sensitivity to as I should. Because, see, they read a verse of Scripture like Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Let me read it to you. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you guys know why Jesus has not returned for the second time just yet? Jesus has not returned to call us all home because, according to Scripture, there are people that have not heard the message of the gospel. And when that message of the gospel is proclaimed in all of the world, he will return. And he will call us all home. Now, is that going to happen instantaneously? I don't know. Is it going to be the exact moment that the last person hears Jesus returns? I don't know. It's total speculation. Please don't major in the minor on those kind of verses. But you and I have work to do. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a mission to point other people to the hope of the gospel because we eagerly anticipate Jesus coming to call us home. That's why we go. That's why we serve. And I saw a fire for Jesus in some of these men and women that was not only so encouraging, but deeply convicting for me. And I want to tell you one of their stories particularly. And one of the stories that I've not been able to shake over the past week involves a very important person um, in Brazil, and her name was Inara. And I have a picture here for you, and pardon me just having some iPhone photos for you um, with really bad lighting. But this is Anara, and Anara is uh, a leader in her tribe. In fact, I should have referred to her by her actual name, which is Chief Anara. And so she is the chief of her indigenous tribe, and she lives in a very remote part of the Amazon jungle that had zero access to the gospel. And remember Pastor Esdras? Pastor Esdras and his missionary team went into Anara's tribe and shared the message of Jesus with her, and she said, I want that. And she made a profession of faith to follow Jesus Christ. Now, our Western mindset kind of has a hard time because we have a different form of government. And so, but you got to understand, she is the chief of a tribe that's not recognized by the Brazilian government. So she is the chief authority on all things in her tribe. She decides who comes and goes. 
She decides how the money is spent. She decides what messages get shared. She decides what education looks like for kids. I mean, she decides the leadership in the tribe. She's a really big deal. And so Pastor Ezra's realized if we can share the message and the hope of the gospel with the leader, then something will start happening. And so he had the wherewithal to say, let's invite her to the conference so that she can be equipped to be the leader that God has called her to be. And so she's so remote that she doesn't even speak full Portuguese. She speaks Portuguese plus another tribal language. So she brings a translator with her named Asain. And Asain is translating for Chief Anara throughout the course of the week. And at the end of the week, the last day of the conference, devoted to pastoral leadership, Asain comes to one of our JMI staff members and she says, I've been translating all week about this Jesus person. I do not know him. I want to meet him. And she makes a profession of faith to follow Jesus. And so Chief Anara then looks at our JMI staff on the ground, indigenous Brazilians serving in the Amazon jungle, and she says, I want you to come to my village anytime you want to come. You can bring mission teams to my village anytime you want to bring a mission team to my village because I want my tribe to know about the hope that I found in Jesus Christ. And as my grandma used to say, don't let any moss grow on a rock. Do you guys know that analogy? For those of you not from the country, what that means is um, don't let a lot of time pass in between what you're doing and actually making it happen. And so our JMI team, after having a full week of a conference, they boarded on a boat and they went to Chief Inara's tribe. And here's a picture of them. And this is our national director, Sarah Rodriguez, sharing with some of the leaders of this tribe. And I texted them and I said, how did it go? And they said it was such a moving experience to hear the message of the gospel reach a tribe of people that had never heard about it before. And I share that to say, simply put, because of the cross, the most broken, the most vile, the most sinful, the most hateful, the most idol-filled, and yes, the most remote person in the world can find hope. That is only because of the matchless one, Jesus Christ. And it would benefit all of us, especially me, to realize that when the message of Jesus is shared, it accomplishes more than you can ever imagine. When the message of Jesus is shared, it accomplishes more than you can ever imagine. I mean, look at Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so this morning, if you've yet to receive that free gift of salvation, I pray that as that message has been shared this morning, that you would follow suit with Chief Anara, and that you'd follow suit with Asain and say, I want that. I know that he is my hope. I pray that that faith would stir up in you. You can make a note on that card that you want to follow up with us. You want us to follow up with you this week. You want to make a decision to follow Jesus with your life. I encourage you to do that. Or maybe you kind of would relate to just, you know, I've just kind of been playing the game for a little bit. I've kind of been playing church. You know, I've got really good church attendance and I serve and all those things. So maybe that's enough. Well, maybe God's asking you to take it a little bit more seriously. And maybe God is saying, no, I have something in addition to what you're already doing that I want you to do for my kingdom. I have people that I want you to share the message of the gospel with. Or maybe you know Jesus and his life and sacrifice has transformed you, but you've just not prioritized the sharing and the inviting and the serving. I hope and pray that today will be the day. The day that you say, I, I, I understand that Jesus is here, that Jesus is holy, that Jesus is in control, and that he's good. 
And because of his goodness, I want to share. And because of the hope that I have in him, I want to share that hope with others. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment because I want to give us a chance to respond to that today. I'm going to ask the band to come forward, and we're going to respond here in just a moment with communion. But before we ever do that, just simply want to leave a little bit of space here to just ask you to invite Jesus to do what only he can do in your life. The hope of the gospel, the power of the cross, the forgiveness of sins that I do not deserve, the grace and the compassion and the mercy that he seeks to give me that I am in so desperate need of. That you would understand that today. And that you would just simply have maybe the honesty to say, God, I'm, I'm tired of just pretending. I'm tired of just playing a game. I'm tired of just showing up on Sundays. I really want to be involved in what it is that you're doing. Maybe there's people in your life that do not know Jesus Christ and you've been waiting on just the right time and you've been waiting on everything to kind of fully come into picture so that you would know how to share. How about today you set yourself aside and just say, I'm going to make the call today. I'm going to text today. I'm going to go to my neighbor today and talk to them about the hope of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that God's asking you to do, won't you have the courage today to step in faith, to walk with him, to find your joy and your hope in him today? Because he is here and he's good. So God, we pray that you would work. I pray that across this room today, across this room, from the kids in this room to the grandparents in this room, that you would ignite a fire in our hearts for the lost. That you would ignite a fire in our hearts um, to never lose sight of what we've been offered, the grace and mercy that we don't deserve that you've rescued us, God, and you've brought us out of darkness into light. It's incredibly good news. I pray that we would be bold in sharing it, that we would not grow tired or weary of doing your work. So thank you for meeting us here. Thank you, God, for working. And it's in your name that we pray and that we live. Amen. You've been listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, we hope you will tell a friend about us and subscribe so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Be sure to explore our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. See you next time and God bless.